This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. Thank you for joining us today. According to UN agencies, over 50 million people worldwide live in conditions defined as modern slavery. It's often found in low-paid industries, in the manufacturing sector, but also in uh, domestic servitude. Um, so in the home, as well as in supply chains of products, we see it in goods as well, in, in cotton, which I think historically is also, of course, famous for its connection to slavery in, in the past. We still see a link with cotton today. That is Joanna Iwat-Gems. She is the executive director of the organization Freedom United. She tells me that modern slavery involves the exploitation of a person by another party for their own benefit. And this includes, among other things, human trafficking, forced labor, debt bondage, and forced marriage. And what does it take to run an African restaurant in Washington, D.C., a city known for its politics and of late for its diversity? Yes, what exactly can I put on this menu that when people walk in, the only Africans may say, oh, you know, I know this, I know this, I know this. But everyone else would be hesitant to say, well, I don't know this, what is it? Hatib Juf is the proprietor and chef at Mansakunda, a Gambian restaurant located in the city suburbs of Washington, D.C. He talks to me about his passion and mission to bring West African food culture to American diners. But first, as always, we hear from you, our listeners. This week, we asked our listeners in Ghana, how has the economic crisis in the country affected you? This is what you said. The economy is really bad. Things are expensive, like transportation fees. We can't even afford food. Yeah. Um, the economy is actually not treating us well. Not really treating us good. Affecting business here and there. You know, clients complaining of high cost of materials and work and everything. It's really too bad. Ghana's economy, this time around, the economy... It's in a big mess because we can't even pay our utility bills. Our rents are high. We can't even feed our children. And it's, it's disturbing. And recently, school reopened and we can't even afford to pay the school fees because price, um, um, prices of the fees have really been increased. Uh, what I think the government should do is that they should have control over prices, especially they should go to the marketplaces, um, they should put in policies that will control our um, prices in the market because people are really overpricing uh, goods, goods in the marketplaces and I think some policies should be in place so that these goods would be checked. Thanks to all of you for sharing your opinions on the question of the week. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. We start off this week on the issue of modern slavery, an issue that for many might seem as a thing of the past, but that UN agencies and global human rights organizations say is pervasive and frequently goes unnoticed. Experts define modern slavery as a condition in which an individual is exploited by others for personal or commercial gain. 
Modern slavery victims are found in many places providing cheap or free labor in textile industries, the people making the clothes we wear. They're also found in the food industry, harvesting or processing the food we consume or working in homes as cleaners or cooks. The victims of modern slavery are often trying to escape poverty and support their families, but end up facing exploitation and the loss of freedom. Joanna Iwa James is the executive director of Freedom United, an organization dedicated to fighting human trafficking and modern slavery through advocacy campaigns. She tells me that modern slavery is a massive and complex problem that needs more global attention. What is modern-day slavery and how does it differ from historical forms of slavery? How does modern-day slavery manifest itself? It does differ. The main um, difference being that in most places in the world, there is no legal right to own another person as there was in historical slavery. However, I think we're wrong to celebrate the end of slavery because what we're seeing instead today is a transformation into a modern system of slavery-like conditions where people are treated effectively as property, although they legally may not be, and they're exploited for that person's benefit. And it can be in different contexts. It can be for profit, it can be for their labour, or it can be for sexual exploitation. And this is a practice that happens globally. It's estimated that uh, around 50 million people are subjected to modern forms of slavery on any day right now. And uh, how widespread is, uh, is, is it? In which regions or countries is it most uh, prevalent? So modern slavery is endemic. It is everywhere in every country. Um, for sure, there are regions where it is um, a bigger problem, partly because the, um, the populations might be higher, but also because we see uh, systems that have been built economically on the exploitation of others. Let me, for example, talk about... Uh, China, where we've seen, we see right now in the Uyghur region, uh, people are exploited for their labour in a so-called system of re-education. In practice, people of the Uyghur, Muslim, Turkic and other minority groups are put in camps where their labour is used for the production of goods that then ends up in international supply chains and into our markets. And what are the industries or sectors where modern-day slavery is commonly found? It's often found in low-paid industries, in the manufacturing sector, but also in uh, domestic servitude. Um, So in the home, as well as in supply chains of products, we see it in goods as well, in in cotton, which I think historically is also, of course, famous for its connection to slavery in in the past. We still see a link with cotton today, uh, but also in agricultural goods. We see that in the in in the US uh, and in a variety of products in the manufacturing process, as well as actually in the raw materials itself. Mm. So some of the products that we use on a daily basis, some of the clothes, textile, go through this, that part of that ecosystem that pushes or uses, you know, quote-unquote, slave labor. That's correct. And it may be that the uh, that process has happened throughout the production, or it may be at one stage in the production. Mm. For example, I've seen a particular 
part of a garment that might be the factory may subcontract, say, some embellishments on the garment uh, illegally outside the factory um, to people who are effectively in, in, into a condition that is effectively a forced labour. So the good itself is not entirely produced to forced labour, but that may happen. Or in the cotton industry, it may be the cotton itself was grown and harvested with uh, forced labour. And we know in China that the, the government itself is involved in state-sponsored forced labour in the production of cotton in the Xinjiang region. That then is uh, woven, spun into thread, woven into fabric, and made into goods, that step also may involve um, forced labour, particularly, of course, in that Xinjiang region where we know people are being particularly persecuted. But it's by no means exclusive to uh, different parts of the world. We know as well in the US there is a system of prison slavery that also means that some of the goods and products we buy that the US made may also be tainted with this form of extreme exploitation. Mm. Now, obviously, we know that, you know, when you talk about slavery, we know it's outlawed, like you said earlier. Uh, point to us, uh, talk to us about some of the key international conventions and agreements that you would say are aimed at uh, combating modern day slavery. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is outlawed according to international standards. The International Labour Organization, which is the UN body that is set with the task of ensuring that minimum standards of labour are upheld, has made very clear in its convention, this Forced Labour Convention, and also its Slavery Abolition Convention of 19... Uh, so that one's of 1956, also of 1930, that this is a practice that should not be tolerated. However, in spite of that, we do still see a uh, legislation that allows slavery. And I think perhaps most shocking is that in the US, for example, following the ratification of the 13th Amendment of the US Constitution that purportedly ends slavery, we actually, it actually faci- it allowed slavery to continue for uh, people who had been convicted uh, um, of crime. So in that sense, it is actually still legal in the US in that particular circumstance. And that's something that we at Freedom United are campaigning to change. And are there any legal or law enforcement measures in place to prosecute those involved in uh, this type of uh, activities? Absolutely. There are different uh, mechanisms in different jurisdictions. Um, And I think one of the big challenges is that the prosecutions tend to be very small in number. Actually bringing these cases to court has has proven to be difficult. A lot of the legislation is framed around trafficking, yet the exploitation at the end um, may be very clear and evident, but without the evidence behind the trafficking element. Sometimes these prosecutions are not successful. We need to do more to see more prosecutions for sure. But I think ultimately what we need is a much more systemic change. This should not just be a carceral response that is guided by a legislative framework, but a recognition that actually what we need to see is a cultural change and a systems change that means that we no longer rely upon the exploitation of people in our whole world and I think that's really significant and some of that happens because of discrimination Mm. because of the fact that 
we accept that some people may be working in much tougher conditions than we would uh, perhaps accept for for ourselves. And this is not acceptable. And I think we see that particularly where we see migrant workers who are low paid moving to different regions. And we see, for example, in the Middle East and domestic workspace, we see domestic conditions that can constitute domestic servitude where a worker can't even leave the place where they're working, the house that they're working, they may even be locked in without any way to escape. Mm. Um, or in a manufacturing context where they are tied to the employment through the a debt or even threats to their family members that could be applied through the, uh, the person who recruited them into the position. <laughs> In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on The Voice of America. We are chatting with Joanna Iwa-James, the Executive Director at Freedom United, an organization that is dedicated to fighting human trafficking and modern slavery through advocacy campaigns. How can individuals or communities recognize and uh, you know signs of modern day slavery and report it? And I guess the second part of that question is that what are some of the challenges and obstacles in identifying and rescuing victims of, of these type of situations? I think that part of the problem with the fact, part of the reason at least why we have so many people living in conditions of modern slavery today is precisely because we don't recognise and understand it. There has been for some time a misconception that to be in slavery that you're held in chains. Well, that isn't the case today. It's about somebody having the opportunity to freely offer themselves to work and be able to leave that work without threat of penalty or punishment. As such, you can't necessarily just see if someone is in living in the condition of modern slavery or not. But with this misunderstanding comes a misidentification or rather a missed opportunity for that person to be identified by the authorities or the first responders who are actually tasked with protecting us. So it's really important that we as individuals have a good understanding of what this exploitation is and what it is not. That is how um, we can help recognise Monsavery for what it is today. I'm really passionate about the fact that we do need to improve our understanding because then we have a better we're in a better equipped as a society to respond to exploitation and recognize it for what it is it's not just somebody you know doing the best they can out of a tough situation in their life but it's actually somebody who's being unnecessarily exploited mm. for for somebody else's benefit and that's not acceptable there's a second part to your question that i wanted to also pick up on could you remind me of it and i think it was uh what are the challenges and obstacles in in identifying and rescuing Ah oh, yes, yeah. I think this is a really another really important point because um, there is often a desire to think about how we can sort of jump in and, and rescue someone, but actually, what would be much more effective and powerful is to empower everyone to be able to get out of that situation themselves. And we know that in practice, the best protection against exploitation is having the power yourself to not accept conditions that are exploitative, to know 
what your rights are, but to be supported in the realisation of those rights. That does mean having some changes in our current system so that people who are discriminated against, say, for example, through immigration regulations uh, or even on the basis of their ethnicity, are able to exercise their rights. That then would give um, that the person who is a vulnerable of being exploited the opportunity to get out of that situation. I think that's really important. This isn't just a case of rescuing people, but empowering them. You can rescue somebody and then find that they, uh, without support or empowerment, are back into a system of slavery for lack of other opportunities. And that's not what we want. We want to address the root causes of this and, and prevent... Uh, exploitation for happening in the first place. And that's what we're calling for at Freedom United. Okay. Uh, we spoke about individuals and communities and the kind of things that they can do to identify uh, and, and rescue victims of uh, modern-day slavery. But I, I want to ask you about businesses and, 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 and consumers. How can they help prevent uh, modern-day slavery in the global supply chains? I think that the first step, as I said before, is understanding what we're talking about when we say modern slavery and then looking at where we know it happens. We've got a great map, Freedom Map. You can find map.freedomunited.org, which explains some of the high-risk products that are related to modern slavery. Once you apply your supply chain as a company to that map and to your knowledge of where Monsavia is rife, you then know where to focus your efforts. Focusing then on where the risks are, understanding the communities where you're sourcing from and your connection then to modern slavery helps ensure that you are building a effective due diligence to protect uh, ensure you're not supporting or complicit in it. We do need to see companies being more proactive in taking on responsibility for ensuring they're not complicit in supply chain in uh, forced labor and modern slavery in their supply chains. It isn't enough just to say yes, you know, we have a policy against it. We need to see that in, applied and investigated through uh, corporate supply chain using a risk-based assessment and then where where Monsavery is found working through with community-based organizations to ensure that we can that you move away from those suppliers but also support those individuals who are at the sharp end we definitely don't want to see companies just cutting and running but taking responsibility for all workers throughout their supply chain i think that's really important as consumers there's a lot of pressure on us to be aware of the products we're buying and the conditions in which those products are made. I do think that we are given a difficult task. We don't have visibility down the supply chain of all the products we buy. I think then instead we should use our voices. We should use our voices to say what our expectations are. And our expectations are that if we go buy something, that it should be produced by people who are in a decent work. Right. So and that's, our voices that we need to make sure. Basically. Yes, absolutely. And I think that we do have an economic system that does rely on a lot of excessive consumption and often low prices. And for sure, there's got to be a connection between that and exploitation and modern slavery. So, you know, we can also question whether, you know, we, we are making, whether we need this particular good and we're making good use of it. But I think ultimately what we need to see is a shift in social values mm. and be clear that, you know, we expect the goods and services that we buy to 
be produced by people who are in decent working conditions and not being exploited. That was Joanna Iwa-James. She is the executive director at Freedom United, an organization that is dedicated to fighting human trafficking and modern slavery through global advocacy campaigns. She joined me in studio here at The Voice of America. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. The U.S. capital, Washington, D.C., is regarded as one of the most important cities in world politics. But besides its politics, the city is also recognized for its diversity as a host to a vibrant and growing immigrant community, one that contributes to its social cultural fabric through music, through culture, but most notably through food. Next on the show, we visit Mansa Kunda, a Gambian restaurant located in the suburb of the city, where local diners gather to enjoy the culture and cuisine of West Africa. The proprietor of the restaurant, Hatib Juf, tells me that operating an African food business in Washington can be challenging, but it can also be rewarding. Let's talk about Mansakunda. Yeah. The name Mansakunda, what does that mean? And what kind of food do you cook in your kitchen? Talk to us about some of So, um, I decided not to go with a more catchy name because you want it to be very, very short, something that people can remember right away. But I also want to shove the name down people's throats because um, the word Mansa is known throughout West Africa. Okay, because one of our greatest rulers was Mansa. Mansa. There you go. <laughs> now, so if you separate it, the word Mansa means king. Musa was King Musa. King Musa, okay. For example, if you want to say a king who's a, a male figure, it's a Mansa K. If you want to say a queen, it's Mansa Muso. Okay. So Mansa itself is the king. But then the Kulda means a domain. So king's domain is Mansa Kunda. So, for example, if you're speaking Mandingo and you want to say the government, if I were to say Jackson's government, I would say Jackson's Mansa Kunda as you have been president. You understand? So the language itself is not complex. It's just a matter of understanding it. Yeah. And unfortunately, in my part of the world, most of our languages, it's not audible. I not written. Yeah. You know. So... No written record of, exactly. of how it is. We do not have alphabets. Yes. That is why if you walk into the restaurant, I do have books. You understand? So once in a while, once people come in, and I hope they're impressed, and they want to learn more, at least there are books there for them to look at. And learn. And, and they have a visual representation exactly. of, of where the food they're eating comes exactly. from. And the other thing, that's also, I, want, I don't want to forget this, I want you to also talk about the art because that looks very intentional in the way you, you the, the kind of art you have in there, the space. Mm-hmm. When you walk into the space, it doesn't look like this around us. It looks different. It's like you're entering a different portal, a different which, dimension. Which, which, which was the whole idea? Because I wanted, um, I mean, I can't tell you more about Africa. You probably know more about Africa than I do. No, no, but I wanted, no, 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 no. You have traveled more than I have. However, I wanted someone who hasn't had the the experience of going to Africa and who've always wondered about how we live. The restaurant, I hope, represents what I call modern Africa, where you come in for an hour or two, you forget that you're in America. You forget that you're in the heart of Tokumapa. Okay? 
And I hope that your experience, you know, would actually tease your curiosity to go to the mother find out more. Yes. You know? And um, if I can achieve that, I would call myself a success. You know? And um, in, when we go back to the art world, I love art. You know, my basement is full of artwork that I'm trying to find a hole for. I am a collector of African art. African, African art, specifically. And, um, and wood photography. I choose some of the works that I've collected to put them in the restaurant uh, so that uh, when people come in, yeah, they would actually understand that, yes, we have painters, we have sculptures, we have musicians, and everything else. And it represents that aspect of our cultural background. You understand? So let's talk about the food. Uh, so you, you prepare West African cuisine. Yes. Uh, what, what, what does West African cuisine consist of? What are some of the main dishes in the cuisine? So I'm going to start turning back. Africa is the last place on earth that's organic, not by design. Understand? We eat what we grow. We eat what is there naturally. It's funny that you come to America and go to Whole Foods. By the time you leave, you spend $200 for something that we take for granted back home. You know, when people grow what they eat, and they eat what they grow. So when I sat down, I decided to put pen to paper and uh, to see what dishes that I would like to offer. It wasn't really Jackson was going to sell. If what exactly can I put on this menu that when people walk in, the only Africans may say, oh, you know, I know this, I know this, I know this. But everyone else would be hesitant to say, well, I don't know this. What is it? What that does is, obviously, it delays service in the restaurant. But then every table that you walk into, you will find yourself explaining the dish that is about to be served. And then you become a teacher. Exactly. <laughs> and then it meanders to actually our culture again, sometimes politics. That was Hatib Juf. He's the proprietor and chef at Mansakunda Restaurant in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Let's go to East Africa in Kenya, where authorities recently arrested a young man for masquerading as a lawyer and allegedly stealing the identity of a real attorney. The fake lawyer, Brian Mwenda, had actually won all 26 cases he had handled in various courtrooms while posing as an advocate of the High Court of Kenya, that's despite being untrained. To learn more on this interesting case, I reached our correspondent in Nairobi, Josephine Mothengi. Joey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to start off with this story okay. of uh, Brian, uh, <laughs> Brian Mwenda, who apparently yes, has, Brian been, uh, Mwenda. He has been showing Not up. Now to in... be a hero to many, right? surprisingly. <laughs> apparently, this man called uh, Brian Mwenda had stolen the identity of a real lawyer with the same name. Our media reports went around. They said he is a fake lawyer who's won more than like two dozen cases. I think 26 was, was the number to be exact. Wow, that's a lot of cases. But, so, but the truth finally caught up with him at some point. How long has he been practicing before he was arrested? I don't think, don't think anyone is really sure. We haven't gotten details on that so far. Uh, the, the, the authorities are somehow directed towards, you know, 
a you know as a fake lawyer he's been practicing without no law degree etc so they did um arrest him okay and okay. and and how was he found out what gave away the game for him I think you know just social media in general because he's very open about him being a lawyer. He's taking pictures, you know, in the full regalia, posting them on social media. So I think it was just somebody who knew him. Kind of like, give him a minute. Social media guy. gave him away. <laughs> lawyer. And so what does it take to become a, an advocate in Kenya? If this man has not been trained as a lawyer and he's been out here yeah. winning cases, either say something about his brilliance or something about the Kenyan yeah. legal system you know the justice system yeah, that's where you know all the questions came in because even the inspector general of the national police service said this case is not unique they noticed an increase of cases of unqualified people pre- pretending to be advocates of the high court of Kenya this is a trend it's been going on i just don't know if they don't have the right you know tools in place to be able to catch these people so this is a common issue it's something that happens quite often that that's, yeah according to the general uh, the inspector general of police okay so Brian Mwenda he was arrested like i said he was freed um on uh, 200,000 shillings bond which is about 1,330 US dollars at the moment case will be heard next month but you know a lot of people just wondering is he going to represent himself how is this going to play out <laughs> so we're all kind of just waiting to see what happens <laughs> well, what has been the reaction uh, from Kenyans especially the legal community So let's start with the regular Kenyans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the law society of Kenya was freed and they went online and you know they were doing protests saying this is terrible. You know the average Kenyan is thinking this guy is a hero if he's better than you guys. Ah, you know. Mm. <laughs> sort of um the online rhetoric going on for us. So like I said a lot of people are calling him a hero. They're like, "Hey, if he's tried 26 cases in one and you haven't, You need to be a better lawyer. It's been yeah. up that entire conversation about just opportunities for employment for young people in general. You know that they feel like they have to resort to these desperate measures. It's quite sad. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners. Remember to connect with us at voaafrica.com/upfront. We are also on social media on Facebook and on Instagram. We are also on YouTube. I'm Jackson Vunganyi wishing you 